Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 127 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by the ever-elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Aside from, well, a bit of a killer flu, to be honest. But aside from that, everything is well. Um, due to that, I'm going to try to go through everything as quick as possible this week. We're going to start with the reviewing, of course. We're going to start last Friday, the 16th of March. Um, we're going to start over in Australia, funny enough. There was a fight to mention over here. Two former opponents of Sergei Kovalev. Blake Caparello, the home fighter, 26-2 and two with one draw. He took on the very crafty and uh, t- t- sometimes to be honest, the very horrible Isaac Chalemba. But it was an upset here. Um, Not in my eyes anyway, but Isaac Chalemba went over to Australia and he managed to pinch a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. Two judges had it 115-113 and the other judge 111-117, all three in favour of Isaac Chalemba. That one was for the vacant WBC International Light Heavyweight title also. So um, yeah, nice little win there for Isaac Chalemba. He takes back... Um, to his native, a a little piece of silverware. Also, in a different part of Australia, one fight to mention on this one, former world champion Sam Solomon. He was out in what was his 60th pro contest. It was a draw, though, a majority draw, against a guy called Wes Kappa, who was 19-2. and two. Hasn't really fought anybody, to be honest. I mean, Sam Solomon, he very much should have retired a long, long time ago, but it was for the vacant IBF international middleweight title and like I say in his 60th fight he's been took to a draw there by Wes Kappa so um yeah I think I think the other judge who didn't have it a draw obviously with a with a majority draw two judges had it a draw one judge had scored it for one of the guys I think that the guy um that you know, got the scorecard in their favour was actually Wes Capra. I think one of the judges gave it to him. It was quite a close fight, though, um, I believe. Moving over now to Estonia, another close fight over here. You wouldn't have thought so on paper going in, but Robert Hellanius, 25-2. and two. He just about scraped a split decision over eight rounds against a guy called Yuri Bakatsu, who was 10-14 and 14 with three draws. So Robert Hellanius now 26-2. and two. Boy, oh boy. Moving over now to York Hall, Bethnal Green. This one was the David Hay show. I was there in attendance. It was shown, most of it anyway, most of the good stuff was shown on Channel 5. Just running through the card now with the results here. Daniel Mendez moved to 6-1. and one. It was a points win over four rounds against uh, against Grigor Karastaniov, I think he's said. Like I said, a points win over four rounds for him. Ricky Heavens moved to 5-0. and He's also got one draw. It was a points win against Jordan Grunham, who went into the fight with a record of 2-20, and now 2-21. and So a four-round points win there for Ricky Heavens. Also on the bill, um, Daryl Church, he moved to 6-2 and with one draw. It was a stoppage win against Ricky Askew in the first round. Mark Little moved to... 
7-0. It was a points win over four rounds against Tomislav Rudan, um, a journeyman, to be honest. Linus Judofia, he moved to 8-0 with a good, good, good win, to be honest. A TKO in the second round against Durant Goodridge, who'd only had six fights in total, so quite an inexperienced pro there. Yusuf Kamari moved to 4-0. It was a points win over four rounds against Christian Late, a tough journeyman, who's actually... Almost coming up to 300 professional fights, Christian Late. 268 losses now for him. He's probably fought two or three times since last week, actually. So, credit to him. Uh, also on this bill, Addy Burden. He got a points win against Callum Ide. Addy Burden now moves to 6-0. and um, Callum Ide still without a win. That's a four-rounder there. Also on this bill, Dan Dan Keenan. He moved to... 7-1, he picked up a points win over four rounds against Iliad Markov, who was 2-2 two two with one draw. Uh, Wadi Camacho got a ninth round KO against Danny Cousins. It was a rematch. The first fight, Danny Cousins had to retire on his stall um, this time round. I think that Wadi Camacho was... Uh, very dominant. I mean, I thought he'd win. I thought he'd probably stop the guy once again. But, um, you know, it, it went all the way to the ninth round. It was only a 10-rounder, so Cousins almost lasted the distance. Wadi Camacho was showing off a lot. You know, he, he was getting quite, um, you know, quite flashy. He even walked out to David Hayes' trademark song by McFadden and Whitehead. Ain't no stopping us now. So um, he was certainly, certainly very much up for that fight, Wadi Camacho. Once again, another defense of his Southern Area Cruiserweight title. He's now 20-7. and seven. It was a great, great finish, though, from Wadi Camacho, to be honest. Um, speaking to some of the journalists at ringside, I think we've solidified Camacho now. Um, he's very much a, you know, a, a gatekeeper, really, for the domestic kind of scene. I think he, he gives a lot of people a tough fight. I'd like to see him against Lawrence Okoli, to be honest, but I don't think that'll happen. I think they're quite good friends. Unfortunately for Danny Cousins, he now goes into a losing record here. He's now 10-11 and 11 with two draws. Um, also on this bill, Roxana Begum. She was a female making her debut. I think she had some kind of background in some other form of MMA. Uh, she made her debut against Ivanka Ivanova, who was only one and three. I'm hearing lots of rumours that apparently she was seen opposite the York Hall, um, you know, with about three or four different cigarettes before the before the fire, absolutely chain-smoking them. And apparently she was, um, I think, maybe eating or, or maybe drinking something she shouldn't have been right before the fight. So it seems quite unprofessional, but I didn't see that with my own eyes, so I'm not going to say that that did happen. One thing that did happen, though, is that when she got in the ring, she completely had no defender. Um, you know, the thing that people wear down their shorts to kind of protect their kind of private areas she didn't have any of that and then when her corner were asked why she didn't have that they simply said that in our country we don't use that so yeah quite bizarre and the fight actually had to you know get pushed back about five or six minutes while they had to try and go into the dressing room and, and borrow one off some of the other undercard fighters but yeah unfortunately for Roxana I mean she didn't really impress at all she looked very very uh, very much like a novice, to be honest. I know it was only a pro debut. I don't want to be too harsh, but, you know, she was just getting caught a lot. She was, um, 
you know, just kind of throwing like windmills. It, it almost looked like two uh, two girls fighting outside a Claire's accessory store or something like that. And rightfully so, she didn't pick up the win. A lot of people believe that maybe the uh, you know the travelling woman Ivanka Ivanova perhaps should have got the victory. But anyway, the referee scored it a draw over four rounds, four two-minute rounds, of course, so very unlucky for Ruxana. I do like her character, though. I do I do like the fact that she was training for five years behind her family's back because she knew that they wouldn't approve of what she wanted to do. Um, moving up the bill once again now, Matty Askin took on Stephen Simmons. This one I thought was going to be a bit of a war, to be honest. Matty Askin, obviously... You'd have to say on paper, the better fighter, 22-3 and three with one draw going in. He was defending his British cruiserweight title. Stephen Simmons, we've seen him in there against Wadi Camacho in a great, great fight. His record, 18-2. and two. I was very, very, very impressed with Matty Askin. I have to say so. He absolutely um, caught Stephen Simmons with a peach of a shot. I'm sure it was a straight right hand, straight down um, you know, to the abdomen, straight in the front of it, just above the shorts. He just caught him very, very well. And I remember as soon as he landed the shot, I just kind of winced. I thought, ooh, that's a great shot. And then that was it. Literally, Simmons went down and he didn't get up at all. Um, so a very brutal-looking Matty Askin there. He had a lot of support in the house as well, which I found quite surprising. I wasn't too sure how many people would make the trip. Um, one thing I will say, though, there was a great, great moment of embracement after the fight in the ring. I think Stephen Simmons has got a little baby, perhaps just just probably even less than two or three months old, a really small little baby, and he picked up his baby in the ring, and he was kind of parading the baby round the ring, even though he'd just been stopped, you know, it was a it was a moment of happiness there, and Matty Askin went over and acknowledged the baby, and it was crazy, because these two boxers who were trying to punch lumps out of each other about two minutes before, um, you know, they're both in there with a delicate little baby, and they're kind of like, you know, laughing and joking and you know swinging the baby around it was really quite nice you don't really see that i think that was quite a quite a lovely moment that they shared there tunji ogayina i think he's known as uncle t i think that's his nickname i think he's from some part of london his opponent actually pulled out he retired on his store after the first round i think i think it was the first round so um I'm not quite sure what it was about. Everyone in the crowd was booing. It didn't seem like he, he wanted it at all, to be honest. And I was almost going to forget the main event here. Joe the Juggernaut Joyce. He got in the ring against Donnie Palmer, who was billed as six foot. And Donny Palmer said that all the UK heavyweights are all overhyped. I'm going to come over here and knock them all out one by one, starting with Joe Joyce. He can't punch. All these kinds of things here. And boy, oh boy, did he eat those words in precisely, I think it was about 38 seconds of the first round. Joe Joyce got in there. He was dancing around, throwing out his jab, not just to the head. He was also going to the body with the jab, which you don't see many heavyweights do, to be honest. Um, I will say, I I don't want to... I know this is going to sound pretty stupid, but there's something Arlie-ish about Joe Joyce. And it's not just the haircut that he's got, because he's, he's kind of got the head shape and the haircut a little bit like a, like a young Muhammad Ali. But um, it's just his movement, something about his movement, the way he kind of moves around the ring and glides around. And I know that that's, that can sound incredibly ridiculous, but there's something there. And, and, you know, perhaps other people may agree with that. I'm not quite sure. Maybe not. But, um, yeah, there's something something I really like about him. And he managed to finish his guy off with a straight one-two. 
and um, that was all she wrote. Donnie Palmer went down in a heap, and he got up, and you know he collected his paycheck. But another very quick win there for Joe Joyce. I'd like to see him stepped up. I know that Joe Joyce. This is a bit of an exclusive here, but Joe Joyce will be releasing a song soon. Okay, and all I'm gonna say is hint Chisora. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to tease you with that a little bit there. Moving over now to the Madison Square Garden Theatre in New York, USA. This fight, or this whole bill actually, was shown on Box Nation. Um, we're going to start with the, well, it's not really the undercard. Michael Conlon, um, he, he seemed to top the bill, to be honest. He moved to 6-0. It was a win against David Berner, who was 15-2. and Some people were moaning at the opponent here, saying that they'd never heard of him. To be honest, he was probably the best opponent that Michael Conlon had took on so far. It, remember, it is only a sick fight. I didn't really have many problems with it. But Berner was down in the first round and the second round where he was ultimately TKO'd. We didn't really get to see too much from Michael Conlon. It was another destructive job. Um, you know, he went over there and got a good win on St. Paddy's Day, which was, I believe, a year to the day from his debut. I think he made his debut on St. Paddy's Day of 2017. So... Another good win there for Michael Conlon. He's been out six times in one year. Um, also on this bill, Jose Pedraza moved to 23-1. and one. It was an eight-round unanimous decision against Jose Luis Rodriguez, who was 23-11 and 11 going in. I didn't manage to see that fight at all. Christopher Diaz moved to 23-0. and 0. It was a TKO in round four against Braulio Rodriguez. That was for the WBO NABO Super Featherweight title. Good win there for Christopher Diaz. Antonio Lozada Jr., 38 and 2, got in there against Felix Videjo. Remember, Videjo was a man that did really, really well in the amateurs and just seemed to kind of it's been a little bit stop start for him in the pros. Um, Felix Vadejo was actually TKO'd in the 10th and final round, so unbelievable upset there, and a great win for Antonio Lazada Jr., who had a fantastic-looking resume on paper. Um, and when I say on paper, I literally mean <laughs> his amount of wins and his losses. 38-2 and two looks amazing. When you look a little bit deeper, they were against absolute nobodies. So, um... A very big upset there on that one. And also, Alexander Gvozdik. A lot of people believe he was just going to walk through his opponent and knock him out early. Well, it wasn't to be. He was actually marked up himself by the end of the fight. It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds, though, for Gvozdik. But he didn't look too impressive against Mehdi Amar, who was 34-5 and with two draws going in. Nonetheless, Gvozdik now 15-0. and It was for the interim WBC World Light Heavyweight title as well. So a decent win there, I suppose, for him. A probably a little, a little bit of a learning fight really there and the main event on this one Jose Carlos Ramirez 21 and 0 took on Amir Imam 21 and 1 it was for the vacant WBC World Super Lightweight title. Remember, Regis Progre is hot on the heels of the winner in this one because he's got the interim belt. Um, I actually thought that, I mean, we didn't go to the prediction leagues, but I actually thought that Jose Ramirez would probably stop him late. Well, that wasn't what happened here. It went the full distance. I will start just a little bit of a rundown with the fight here. The first round, I think that Amir Imam landed a really, really good uppercut. And, you know, he's got quite a spiteful jab, Amir Imam, when he uses it. He really pops it out. Um, you know, he's very accurate with it as well. I think he's got a great jab. He's got a lot of good skills when he uses them. 
And I felt that the early rounds, I mean, probably the, the first two or f maybe the first two or three, maybe four, I found them quite hard to score, to be honest. I think that Ramirez, he seems to have the more eye-catching work of the two. He seems to be the guy that lands the punches in bunches. And what I like about Ramirez is he positions his feet really, really well. Like when he's on the attack, he's, he's able to quickly get in position and quickly position them correctly in order to maximize that punching power. He seems to do it very quickly. And in the later rounds, that was when Ramirez really, really went to work and, you know, was starting to bust Amir Imam up, to be honest. Both fighters fought with lots of desire and grit, but I think at the end of the proceedings, the right man got the decision. A few very different scorecards um, by the three judges, but all of them were ruled in favour of Jose Ramirez, the rightful winner in my eyes. One judge had it to, um, to Ramirez, I think it was 7-5 to five he had it, which was very close, and then another judge had it a complete shutout, so... Yes, a few, uh, a few, a few strange scorecards there, I suppose. But it's nothing new in boxing, unfortunately, is it? But yeah, that really wraps up the reviewing. Before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 2008 Olympic gold medalist and former IBF super middleweight champion of the world, Mr. James DeGal. James, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm very good, my friend. Yourself? You're right. Yeah. Yeah, all good, all good, training hard and uh, feeling great, feeling great, if I'm being honest. Excellent, man, that's what I like to hear. So, James, first and foremost, the rematch is now on. You'll be travelling to the United States to face Caleb Truax on April 7th on the undercard of Lara and Hurd. Um, I was sat there ringside for the first fight, James, and, you know, watching you in the ring that night, it, it wasn't the James DeGale that I'm used to no. seeing. It appeared like you'd almost got older overnight, because quite rightly, yeah. before that fight, James, most people, including myself, would have said yeah. you were the best super middleweight in the world, bar none. Yeah. What seemed to go wrong in the fight, James? Uh, well, there was a lot of things. Well, actually, I'm lying. There wasn't a lot of things, but this is it's simple. It's simple. Uh, I rushed my injury. I had reconstructed surgery to my shoulder. I had a tear around my shoulder. I had, I had a tear in my rotator cuff and my AC joint needed stabilizing. So uh, coming back after six months uh, to competition was a wrong move. Uh, it's fully healed in, in 12 months, as you said. Uh, I mean, a surgeon said. And uh, yeah, I simply just rushed the injury. And if I'm being honest, uh, I wasn't to my full fitness as well. But listen, you learn from your mistakes. I shouldn't have done it. Uh and that's it, we move forward. Like but I'm 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 very disappointed with the performance because anyone with a brain cell can see that wasn't me in there. Something was up. Something was up. I was pouring with my jab, my right hand. Remember I'm a right hand is south four, so everything comes off the front hand uh, the front hand. Uh yeah, and it was a poor performance. And yeah, I'm just I'm just I'm just assuming that a lot of people now are doubting me. They're saying that I'm a shot fighter. I don't know how they can say I'm a shot fighter. I'm, uh, I'm 32 years of age. I've had one hard fight in my life. Actually, I've had two. One, one for the European title and one against Badu Jack. Uh, and I'm fairly still young, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, if I'm being honest, the last couple of uh, fights, probably say the last three fights, I haven't been to my best and that's purely down to my shoulder. But listen, I didn't realise that uh, surgery to your to your uh, to your shoulder, especially reconstructive uh, uh, surgery, uh, is a long process in healing. And uh, yeah, I, I, I underestimated how long it would take me to recover. But I'm feeling great now. Uh, I'm feeling real good. The 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 shoulder's healed up 
extremely well. By the time I fight, it will be 10 months since surgery. And they say it's fully, fully healed uh, in 12 months. So, yeah, I can't wait. And I know that it hit you extra hard because obviously it was your first fight in the UK for a long time. Um, how long did it, you know, how long did it take you to kind of get back in the gym? Because I know it hit you so hard. How long did it yeah, take to get back in the gym, uh, you know, after all that? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I was back in the gym. I had five days off and I was back on the track. Me and Jim, the following week, went on the track. It was very hard. Do you know what? It feels like I've, I've trained uh, in the past four months, it felt like three months. Sorry, it felt like there's been a grey a grey cloud above my head, and uh, and that won't go until I've beaten Truex and got back my title. But yeah, no, straight after the fight, really, I was back in the gym, and that's what I needed. And that's what I needed. Uh, as I say, I just rushed the injury. I should have left it until round about now to fight again. But me being me, thinking about getting paid and. It's an easy defence. I thought, let's do it. If I'm being honest, when when Al Heyman said, yeah, do you want to box Turex? Well, uh, I was thinking in my head, I'll beat him with no hands, Turex. He's no good kind of thing. So I underestimated him. But I was a fraction of myself that night. Like, And I think, as I, as I said before, anyone with a brain cell can see that uh, that wasn't me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And in the heat of of the moment kind of at the time that I remember there being loads and loads of speculation and rumours that perhaps you'd part ways with Jim McDonald. Was that ever something that you considered, James? I know that obviously things are things are great now, which I'm happy to hear. Yeah, uh you know what? No, never really. Like after something bad happens, a loss in that in professional uh boxers careers, uh people people start blaming trainers and, and their team. But this was all down to me. Like I chose to box. Uh, uh, say going back to the opponent, Truax, I thought I'll beat him with no hands. Like it's, it's an easy night to work. As I was thinking, this is how I was thinking. I was thinking even if I get through it and win, I still get paid. I still get to keep my title, and then we can start again in 2018. That's how I was thinking. Like, like it don't matter. Truax is nothing. But it's the wrong way to think because boxing can work in 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 like funny ways. And obviously, Truax is a hungry fire. Uh, and now that he's got the title, he ain't gonna want to lose it. So he's probably gonna come with his best A game. And uh, yeah, I've got to be on point. But I'm telling you now, if 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 I, if I don't beat Truex, I'm I'm the realist and I'm real and I'm true to myself. If I can't beat Truex, then I've got to knock it on the head. It's straight. It's just straightforward. And I remember in the post-fight interview, Caleb Truex stated that, you know, he kind of had to make it a dogfight because he knew that yeah. he, he's not as good of a boxer as you are. He couldn't beat you in a boxing match. Do you believe, you know, do you blame yourself a little bit because there were times in that fight where you opted to trade with him rather than, you know, rather than yeah. box a little too often? Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard for me. It's so frustrating to answer all your questions because I said before that wasn't me in there. Yeah. And I think you can see how I was trying to put my punches together, but I couldn't do it. And people would say, uh, what about training? Didn't you know in training camp? Well, yeah, I did know in training camp, if I'm being brutally honest. But once again, I go back to Shrek's uh, uh, average fire. Like, I deal with him. It's not a problem. But I got found out. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And obviously, as I said earlier, the rematch is now on. You're going to be travelling to the States. Um, I give you... 
huge credit for going back out there, James, to try and avenge it on American soil in his backyard, to, so to speak. Yeah. But is there a reason it's happening, you know, in the States? Because yeah. well, you're, you're obviously a main event fighter, yeah. not really an undercard yeah. fighter. Well, that was the only way I wanted to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? He, and he come over to uh, my home city and took my title away from him. And I thought I had to do that in the uh, return kind of thing. So, uh, uh, same man, it felt like he was a big, uh, he was a part of the embarrassment on fight night and, and, and I need to go to his home city and, and, and be him in good fashion. And that's what I'm going to do. And obviously, you know, you've had an ongoing feud with George Groves for quite a while. When you picked up your world title, he was kind of playing second fiddle to you. You were the man. Yeah. He was the one who'd fouled three times at world titles. You were on a, you know, a big unbeaten streak. Now it would kind of appear for the time being that the tables have flipped a bit. He's getting loads of attention being in this world boxing super series tournament. Um yeah. And you're obviously boxing on an undercard in the States. Is that is that slightly hard to digest or is there no real hard feelings with him now? I know that you were Team Groves for the uh, I know you were Team Groves for the uh, for the, for the do, you really think, do you really think it bothers me boxing as chief support in Las Vegas, boxing for my old world title and getting paid? Do you really think it bothers me? No, it don't. Okay, is there still some ill feeling towards him? Obviously, like I say, you were you were you were on his team for no, the Eubank. No, no, listen. Yeah, uh, listen. He's on his own path, his own journey. Yeah, like I've got no hard feeling to grow. You know what I'm saying? And as I say, boxing works in roundabouts. There's there's a lot of ups, a lot of downs. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I lost my tie. I need to come back and uh, and deal with Turex before I think about anyone. But yes, I do respect Groves. He. He's 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 gone on to become world champion and obviously beat Eubank and uh, an unproven uh, hype job really if I'm being honest. Uh, so yeah, he's got credit for that, but it's part of it. And just the last couple of questions now, James. Who do you believe wins the, the you know the, the World Boxing Super Series final? Smith, Callum Smith, or George Groves? Uh, I initially said. Uh, Smith, but I still think Smith. But if I'm being honest, Groves looked all right against uh, he boxed well against Eubank. But how good is that win? Like, how good is Eubank? Well, we well, we found out how good Eubank was. Uh, but it was the way Groves dealt with him. Uh, I'm gonna stick with Callum Smith, but as I say, man, it's a good competitive fight, and uh, whoever comes through it has done well to win, win the tournament. And I was speaking to David Benavidez a few weeks ago. He was saying that he actually has got a desire to fight you, providing you beat Truax. He'd love to yeah. fight you for yeah. unification. Is that you know? Is that a guy that's in the back of your head at all? Or are you just completely focused on Truax this time round? Listen, I'm completely focused on Truax, but obviously, as a professional athlete, you've got to have uh, some sort of a plan, kind of thing. And yeah, that's a fight that I would like after this. But for the time being. My focus is on Turex and, and nothing else. Absolutely. And the final question, James, you don't have to give it to us if you don't want to. Have you got any kind of prediction for your fight? How do you win come April 7th in Las Vegas? Obviously, James, they got win. And uh, it has to be dominant and it has to be a standout performance. Otherwise, I won't be happy. I won't be happy. So uh, just look forward to a good fight. But uh, I'll fight that 
I'm going to win and win with flying colours. Absolutely. Okay, listen, James, it's been a true honour interviewing you. I've always been a fan yeah. of yours. I always oh, will brilliant. be. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Best of luck April 7th. We'll catch up sometime after. Thank you very much, sir. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part is the news part. Let's bring in the man himself with all the news in the boxing world, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. The big news that came out uh, this week is that Billy Joe Saunders' fight against Martin Murray has been postponed after Billy Joe Saunders has sustained a hand, in, hand injury. Yes, it's been pushed back to June the 23rd. Um, it's a bit of a shame, really, because... You know, not just not just that fight itself, which I wasn't overly looking forward to, because I think Billy Joe's just gonna play with him. Really, I think he's gonna comfortably win on points. But um, yeah, you know that fight's off, and also all the undercard fights. You know, they're not going ahead. I know that they're gonna try to look to uh, reschedule Terry Flanagan's fight and stuff like that. Terry was on the show last week. Obviously, he was he was raring to go by the sounds of it. So um, it's a great shame for everyone involved, really, on the whole bill. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that they've postponed it and they've already got a date agreed. That's what I do like. That seems like, um, you know, it's going to probably come around quite quickly. Um, you know, it's, it's about, what's that, about 10 weeks it's been pushed back. So, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be too bad. But what I will say, there was good fights happening on every single weekend, I as. Not so much last weekend with Imam and Ramirez, but from this weekend, there's there's a good fight on every single week for about nine weeks, I think it is, and I'm just going to run through them now. Obviously, this weekend we've got Brown and White. Uh, the week after that, that will be obviously Joshua Parker. The week after that will be uh, Degal and Truax, the rematch. Also, the top of the bill over there is Lara and Hurd. The week after that, the 14th, that was supposed to be this card here. The week after that, we've got Donaire and Frampton, and also we've got Khan and LaGreco. Uh, the week after that, which will be the 28th, we have Daniel Jacobs against Selecki, and also we've got Duapas against Big Baby Miller. The week after that, we've got David Hay and Tony Bellew. Also, we've got Canelo and Golovkin. The week after that, we've got Linares and Lomachenko. The week after that, we've got Badu Jack and Adonis Stevenson. And the week after that, we've got nothing. But yeah... It was, you know, it was quite a good thing that there was fights every weekend. But unfortunately, this one, which seemed to be slap bang in the middle of all that lovely, uh, all those lovely boxing matches, that one's fell through. So there will be a week with nothing now on April 14th. So uh, it is what it is. But um, yeah, I feel I feel sorry for all the undercard fighters. It was a hand injury, like you say, I as, and um, you know, it's been rescheduled. That's the most important thing, I suppose. But. Uh, yeah, these things happen, don't they? So it's a shame, but, you know, it happens all the time now. Anthony Crawler will fight Edson Ramirez on, on the Anthony Joshua v. Joseph Parker undercard. Yeah, Edson Ramirez is a guy from Mexico. I mean, he's not well known at all. Like I say, his record is 18-2 and two with one draw. He's not a big puncher. He's only got eight knockouts. His two losses actually came in his second and third fights. They were both split decision losses over six rounds, so they can be debated a little bit, I suppose. One of them was to Jose Cayetano, who, you know, fans will know quite well he took on Kid Galahad he took on Scott Quigg he took on Leo Santa Cruz so you know that's no real shame in losing to him I suppose the other one was to a guy called Diego Gonzalez who only went on to have 10 pro fights before retiring so um 
you know, you can't really read too much into those losses, I suppose. And his, his draw was a majority draw to a guy called Julio Barraza, who is currently 17-1 and one with one draw. His one loss came to Samuel Gonzalez. But without going too deep, um, you know, he's a Mexican... Uh, he hasn't really got a marquee name on his resume when it comes to who he's won against, unfortunately. Um, you know, I can see it being quite an easy win for Crawler. I'm going to give him a pass on that one. It's on the undercard, so it's it's a late addition as well. So no real qualms with that on my, on my side, to be honest. Saddam Ali will face Liam Smith for the WBO Junior Middleweight title on May the 12th. Yes, the same night as Lomachenko Linares, another fight... Uh, that I mentioned a little while ago. Unfortunately, it's not going to be on the same bill, so it's going to be a bit of a shame, because what that tells me is that that fight with Liam Smith and Saddam Ali, I'm guessing, well, in fact, I know, is going to be on Box Nation. So who's going to show Linares and Lomachenko? Because Sky would not usually show that. I know they've got a little bit of interest in Linares because of his fights with the Brits, of course, but... You know, I would expect Box Nation to be showing that. Well, unfortunately for UK fans, it looks like we're not going to get to see that fight now. So um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a blow, really. But the fight itself here, I think it's very winnable for Liam Smith. I know that he has to be on his A game because I was very impressed with Saddam Ali when he took the belt away from Miguel Cotto. I mean, we we kind of knew it was going to happen, but. Yeah, it's a good fight, and it's interesting that it's happening over in the US. I thought that perhaps Frank Warren would put up the money and get it over in the UK, but um, it wasn't to be, which which was quite surprising in my eyes. But yeah, all the very best to Liam Beefy Smith. You know, he's he's probably you'd have to say, arguably anyway, the best out of the four Smith brothers. So yeah, I mean, some people don't like him, but I don't mind him. So hopefully, he goes and gets the job done and becomes a two-time world champion. And we've got another Brit with a world title. I've got no problems with that whatsoever. And Jeff Horn v Terence Crawford has been postponed after Crawford sustained a hand injury. Yeah, I just realised that that's actually a fight that I missed out of all those great fights. That one was set to happen on April 14th also. We know that Manny Pacquiao pulled out of his fight with Mike Alvarado a few weeks ago. And that really took a big piece of of the pie, I suppose, out of that out of that bill. Now that the main events fell through, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, obviously, that fight will look to be rescheduled. I haven't seen any announcement yet, but I'm sure Top Rank won't let that one escape them because, you know, everybody and their mother believes that, uh, you know, that, that Terence Crawford's going to easily walk through Jeff Horn and become uh, a world champion at welterweight as well. So, yeah, I'm sure that'll get rescheduled. I'm not really too sad that that one's been put off because I don't really class that as a super fight at all, despite both men being undefeated and there being a world title on the line and Terence Crawford moving up in weight. We're all interested to see how he looks at 147. But for me, um, yeah, I'm not too bothered about that one. But it's just a shame because that one was going to happen on April 14th. So was Saunders. And both of those people are out with injuries. So April 14th seems to be a bit of an unlucky day there. So, uh, yeah, there'll be no boxing on that night, unfortunately. That's it for the news. Okay, thank you, Ayaz. Moving over now to um, a fight that's actually happening later today, Thursday the 22nd of March, over in the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. One fight to mention on this bill, Ryan Garcia. Um, You know, I don't know if if you follow him on Twitter at all, Ayaz, but he really posts some cringy stuff. I've got to be honest, I like to you know, stay impartial, and perhaps we, we'd we even have him on the show, and, you know, it'd be great to speak to him, but boy, oh boy, this guy, you wouldn't even believe he's a boxer if you go and look at his page, he's like the biggest ladies man ever, like, 
you know, I've, some of the things he posts is really bad, to be honest. He gets a lot of flack for it. Um, he's 13-0, I believe, with 12 knockouts. He's taken on Fernando Vargas, who's 32-13 and 13 with three draws. I quite like the matchmaking with Ryan Garcia because he's really, um, you know, fought, fought quite good opponents in just a handful of fights. So I like what they're doing with him. But, um, yeah, I think he's going to probably get a good win here, hopefully. Uh, he's, he's he's quite a good prospect, to be honest. He had a bunch of amateur fights as well. I think he had a, a load of amateur fights. So he had a great amateur career as well. Uh, that one's going to be on ESPN2. That's an Oscar De La Hoya golden boy card. Moving over now to the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida, USA. Uh, what do we have on this bill? Yeah, there's a funny one on here, actually. Um... It is the debut of Roberto Duran Jr. He makes his debut against Miguel Morales, who's 2-13. and 13. That's a four-rounder there. So um, I, I tried to look at this guy, and I'm guessing he's the son of, um, you know, the, the real hands of stone, Mr. Roberto Duran. But I'm not quite sure, because I can't see any link with him. But I'm guessing, to call yourself that, he's surely got to be the son. I know that Roberto Duran does have a son called Roberto Duran. So I'm guessing it probably is him. And if it is, I'm sure he will have a lot of coverage on his career. Uh, moving over now to France. One or two fights to mention over here. Michel Soro, 31-2 and two with one draw. Fights for the Interim World Boxing Association, WBA World Super. Welterweight title against John Vera, who's 18-0. and 0. Also, Arsene Goulamirian. I think that's how it said. 22-0 takes on Riyad Murray, who is 24-0. That one's for the vacant WBA World Cruiserweight title. That's obviously the regular title. I don't even know why that belt's still in circulation. But yeah, the WBA certainly showing a bit of love to France there. Moving over now to Germany. There's a funny few fights on this card, actually. Enrico Colin gets out once again. His record 25-2. and His opponent yet to be announced. That's a 10-rounder there. Colin, we saw, almost got a distance with Arta Baturbiev for the vacant IBF uh, light heavyweight title, but he got knocked out with about 10 or 15 seconds to go. And the main event here, Kevin Johnson, 32-9 and with one draw, who actually got knocked out in nine rounds two weeks ago. Well, two weeks ago come fight night. He takes on Michael Grant. What a crazy fight that one is. Two heavyweights that really should pack it in, to be honest. Uh, Michael Grant, 48-7. and seven. That's a 12-rounder. I do not see both men going 12 rounds because they just don't have the engines for it. Uh, Kevin Johnson being able to actually fight two weeks after being knocked out, that's something that they wouldn't allow on British shores. You're not allowed to box... Um, you know, for for a month after you've been knocked out. So that's quite bizarre. Maybe that fight won't even happen, but that's what's being reported online. The promoter over there in Germany is a woman called Sophie Puckle. So that is what it is. Moving over now to another part of Germany. A couple of fights to mention on this bill also. Tyrone Zeuger fights for the WBA World Super Middleweight title. Once again, this is the regular version. The super title is owned by our very own George Groves. Tyrone Zeuger, 21-0 and 0 with one draw, takes on Isaac Ekpo, the African fighter, 32-3. That should be quite a good fight, actually. Karo Murat, 31-3 with one draw, fights for the IBO World Light Heavyweight title against Travis Reeves, 15-2 with two draws. Moving over now to Puerto Rico in the Complejo Ferial in Ponce. This one, again, is an Oscar de la Hoya promotion 
card. It's going to be on ESPN2. What do we have on this bill? Zachary Ochoa, 18-1, takes on Ryan Pino, 7-1. That's a six-rounder there. Joshua Franco, the prospect out of the Garcia gym. He is 13-0. He takes on Lucas Emmanuel Fernandez-Leon, who is 11-1 with one draw. Uh, moving over now to Russia, Andrei Sorokin, 14-0, fights for the WBA Intercontinental Super Middleweight title against Ryan Ford. Ryan Ford was supposed to... Um, at one point, take on Anthony Yard. I think Ryan Ford's the guy from Canada. He pulled out of that fight and ended up taking on, uh, I think it was Fedor Chudinov, and he got he got beat um, pretty handily. But yeah, he takes on Andrei Sorokin. Good fight there. And on the undercard, Konstantin Ponomarev, who we have to start taking serious. He's 32-0. and 0. He fights for the vacant Russian welterweight title against Ishmael Iliev, who is 10-0 and 0 with one draw. And Konstantin Ponomarev, I mean, Jesus Christ, if he wins this, he becomes 33-0, and and he's still fighting for the Russian title. What's all that about? I'm not quite sure. Very much a padded record. Moving over now to the O2 Arena. This one, of course, the bill of the weekend in my eyes. It's going to be happening um, on Sky Sports, of course. It's not pay-per-view or nothing like that. The undercard, though, Craig Spider-Richards, 10-1. It's his second fight at light heavyweight after coming up short with only a couple of days' notice when he took on Frank Buglioni for the British light heavyweight title. He takes on Ivan Stopalo, who's 12-11. and 11. That's a six-rounder there. Jamie Cox gets out once more before he... He takes on John Ryder. John Ryder we had on last week's show. Jamie Cox, 24-1. He takes on Bruno Tavares, 12-1 with one draw. Anthony Fowler takes on Kalilu Dembele, who's 6-0 with two draws. Anthony Fowler, 4-0. That's a six-rounder there. Chris Congo, 7-0, takes on Serge Ambomo, 6-5. That's actually going to be quite a good fight, I believe, that one. Uh, Chris Congo, uh, a man that's impressing me quite a lot. That's a six-rounder there. Derek Chisora gets out on this bill, 27-8. and eight. His opponent yet to be announced. That's an eight-rounder there. Frank Buglioni, 21-2 and two with one draw, finally takes on Callum Johnson, 16-0. and oh. This is Frank Buglioni's third um, defense of his British light heavyweight title. If he wins this one, then he's won the belt outright, and every challenger that he's defended against has had unbeaten records, which I think will break a record in itself. Um, credit to Frank Buglioni. Everybody knows he's a friend of the show. The reason why we haven't had him on the show is because we've interviewed him when he was supposed to be taking on Callum Johnson the first time round. Obviously, the fight got pushed back. I can't really remember what for now. So I didn't really see the point of interviewing him again about Callum Johnson. So perhaps if he comes through this fight, we will be speaking to him. But yeah, Callum Johnson, 16-0. and 0, Definitely not to be overlooked, by the way. He had quite a good amateur career as well in the Commonwealths. And we've actually done the Prediction League on this one, Ayaz. Um, so get your prediction ready. Buglioni versus Callum Johnson. Our listeners have gone with Buglioni to win on points. 36% of them going with that. And also, in second place, Buglioni to win by knockout. Only 10% going with Johnson to win by knockout. And 21% going with Johnson on points. Um, how do you see that one, Ayaz? Buglioni and Johnson. Um, I'm going to go with Buglioni points. This is because of the experience. And obviously, uh, it's because the thing is, if Buglioni wins this fight, um, it makes the Anthony Yard fight bigger. So I personally think that I reckon Buglioni, Frank Buglioni will win this fight on points. Yeah, so you're agreeing with the listeners. I'm going to agree with that as well. Um, purely on the fact that Buglioni, even though he kind of got through off a little bit himself when he took Craig Richards on with only a couple of days' notice, 
I actually thought he'd probably stop Craig Richards, and I know that that sounds quite bad because, again, Craig's one of my good friends, but, um, you know, Craig had only had a fight like seven days before or six days before, and there he is, you know, fighting fighting for the British title with only a couple of days' notice. So I thought that he probably wouldn't last a distance, Craig, but he did. So, you know, he showed us a lot that night, and Frank Buglioni didn't look all that great, to be honest. So... Yeah, I hope he gets the job done here, but I definitely think it's probably points. I don't see him stopping Callum Johnson, but if he does, then it's a really big statement also. So yeah, we're all we're all going with points there, me, you and the listeners. Also on this bill, Lewis Ritson, 14-0, and 0, fresh off his first round knockout against Joe Murray only a few weeks ago. He takes on former holder of the belt, Scott Cardle, 22-1 with one draw. It is Lewis Ritson's second defence of his British lightweight title, hoping to, you know, quickly try and get his three defences before he progresses onto something a little bit bigger than the British title. No disrespect, it's the best belt in boxing in my opinion. How do you see that one going on as our listeners, and I'm quite shocked by this, but our listeners are really big for Ritson to win by knockout. 81% going with Ritson by knockout. How do you see that fight, Ayaz? I watched the Lewis Ritson last fight against Joe Murray, and what a fight that was. I can tell you one thing, Lewis Ritson can fight. And the way he knocked out Joe Murray was very, very good. And to be honest, I'm probably going to go with, I'm going to go with Lewis Ritson to win by knockout as well. Okay, so you're agreeing with the listeners. Um, I'm actually going to go against you both. I think that Lewis Ritson will probably win a points decision. I think Scott Cardle's very awkward. Um, he hasn't really shown any any frailty in his chin or anything like that either. Um, I hope I hope I'm wrong actually, because Scott Cardle sent me a Team Scott Cardle T-shirt, so I'm going to be wearing that on the night probably. Um, so yeah, credit to both men there. I do really like the look of Ritson. I've got to be honest, he looks the real goods at the moment. Really flying through people, very young as well. Um, yeah, obviously that's a 12-rounder. Lewis Ritson, 14-0. and 0. And the main event here, I have, I've, I've been watching The Gloves Are Off. I think I watched it a few days ago now. Uh, Dillian White, 22-1. and 1. He takes on Australia's unbeaten Lucas Brown, 25-0. and 0. It's for the WBC Silver Heavyweight title. A very risky fight for both men, I has. I mean, more so for Dillian White, because I think he's the one who's got a lot more to lose. He's the one with the, you know, the big high ranking with the WBC. He's almost, I think he's mandatory, isn't he, when when it gets called. So, um, yeah, he's he's risking a lot against Lucas Brown, who can certainly punch. And remember, he's unbeaten as well. He's He's gone on the road before and picked up wins, something that Dillian White hasn't done. I think it's a really, really good and close fight, and a lot of people believe it's quite one-sided for Dillian White. I think I'm quite surprised by that. I think it's a very close fight, that one. Yes, you're right about this. I think it's a very good fight. Obviously, um, Lucas Brown's a former world champion, WBA heavyweight champion. And I'll tell you something. Dillian White does not get enough credit. Now, if you look at it, he's been calling out, uh, he's been calling out uh, the big heavyweights and nothing's been going his way. I personally reckon if Dillian wins this fight, and I'm telling you, this, I personally think that I'm going to go with I'm going for Dillian White to win this fight on points against Lucas Brandt. And I'll tell you why, because I think Dillian, Dillian White, you can see the difference. And I, I've been watching videos of him, uh, clips, and he does look very different. And to be honest, like um, Dillian White, um, I think he will win by points, and I reckon he'll be boxing him. Now, it should I think, for me, yeah, I think if Dillian White wins this fight, I personally think he'll get the Wilder fight next. Well, I'd like to see that fight. I mean, Dillian White... Um... He, he does need to box him. He certainly can't afford to be trading with Lucas Brown. I definitely give Lucas Brown the edge in power. One thing that I do give the edge to um, the edge to White with though is that 
Lucas Brown's been very inactive, whether that's his own fault or not. He's been quite inactive now. I think he was saying he's had three fights in three years, which just isn't good enough. Um, Dillian White, you know, he showed me a lot in the Chisora fight. Despite what you thought about it, he managed to go the distance, and it was quite... Well, it was a, it was a war, wasn't it? You know, it simply was a war. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that he's kind of been in the trenches. But one thing that not many people remember is when Lucas Brown won the title, he was on the deck himself, and he climbed up to win by stoppage in Russia. So, um, you know, that, that was a lot there. So that showed me a lot about his character, Lucas Brown, who obviously, you know, hasn't always been in boxing. His background, you know, he was, he was a nightclub bouncer. It's quite unbelievable that he's got to where he's got to. But... Oh, it's a hard fight to pick. The listeners are going with Dillian White to win on points as well. I am actually going to go with a late stoppage for Dillian White. But I wouldn't be surprised if Lucas Brown chinned him. I really wouldn't, you know? But I, I really am looking forward to this fight. I think it's going to be a very good fight. To, to be honest, I think it's a bit of a toss-up. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited for it. I really am. And like I say, hopefully the winner can go on to big things. I know that Anthony Joshua wants to face Dillian White again. I mean, that's not really on my priority list for Joshua's next few opponents, to be honest. But, yeah, I mean, if Lucas Brown wins, let's have it right. I mean, if Lucas Brown were to win and Joseph Parker were to win the following week, that is a huge, huge fight for New Zealand and, and Australia. You know, that would be unbelievable. But I don't think that will happen. I think that, you know, Dillian White probably wins. Um, let's just, just before we wrap it up, Ayers, let's just go through the attributes here. Um... We, we'd give the edge in power to Lucas Brown, right? Yes. How do you see the, uh, you know, the stamina? I'd, I think I'd probably lean with, with, with Dillian White on stamina, even though I don't think he's the most, ener- you know, energetic boxer. I think he he's, he's he can get a little bit one-paced kind of thing as the fight goes on, but I'd probably lean to him with stamina. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. He's slow. He's got okay stamina, and I think uh, with him... Um, his, his jab is very, very good and his accuracy. So I think it'll be a very good fight. Yeah, he's definitely got the edge when it comes to jabs. And like I say, I, I really think that he needs to box to win this fight. I don't think he should go looking for Brown, certainly not in the early parts of the fight at all. But Lucas Brown, you know, he's been training really hard as well. He looks in great shape and I'm just really looking forward to it. I mean, you know, it's, it's not the greatest fight ever, but I think it's, it's, it's very much a 50-50. There's great odds, by the way, in the betting shop with... Um, Lucas Brown by both methods points or stoppage so yeah credit to both men though for getting it on credit to Dillian White for taking it he truly is a fighter that I believe would fight anybody and some sometimes I think it's, it's a little bit of a downfall because he'd probably take you know a fight like this like he's took if he loses this and that's it his ranking's gone he won't be fighting Wilder for sure that's that's it you know so yeah, a lot of credit to Dillian White. We know he's got balls anyway. We don't need to question that at all. And Lucas Brown, credit to him for stepping up and taking the challenge. Another very risky fight for him. Uh, a fight that some people would say he didn't want before. And now he wants it. So hopefully it's a great fight. Hopefully it's as good as what I'm building it up to be. <laughs> but yeah, that is it for the previewing. Just before we wrap up part two, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF super welterweight champion of the world, Mr. Carlos Molina. Carlos, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show. 
Hey, it's my pleasure, my friend. So, Carlos, I told our listeners last week that my aim was to try and get both you and Josh Kelly on the show at the same time. At that time, I hadn't heard back from Josh Kelly. I didn't realise, but I was actually messaging him on his birthday. So I'm guessing he was probably a little bit busy around that time. But when he did get back to me, he pretty much said he'd be happy to do it as long as his promotional team were happy for him to do it. But we haven't heard anything back from his his, his promoting team. So, uh, yeah, therefore... It hasn't happened, which is a bit of a shame because it would have been quite cool. But yeah, we we last spoke to you, Carlos, in August 2016 in what was, to be honest, one of my favourite interviews ever because we spoke about, you know, literally your whole career up to that point in great detail and, you know, some of the many big nights of your career. And, you know, when we last spoke, it was just after you'd beaten Carlos Gorham. Um, later on in that year, you went on to beat Diego Cruz over eight rounds. However, if you don't mind me saying, 2017 was a pretty bad year for you. You had two fights, you lost both of them. The first one being to Carlos Adames and the second one to Ahmed El Musawi. Both of those losses were by decision. Were they controversial at all, Carlos? I haven't seen them. I know that Carlos Adames is a very good fighter, though. They were two close fights and um, two close fights in their hometown. You don't expect to win a, a close fight in their hometown, so yeah, that's that's one of the problems. But uh, yeah, the Adamas fight was a close fight, and uh, I saw articles after he signed. He just signed with Top Rank, and uh, they were saying that he dominated me, but that that's that's not true. I mean, the fight's on YouTube, and and uh, they could watch it. So saying I was being dominated is not is not true. It was a close fight, and uh, in his hometown. Yeah, I understand that. And obviously, next up, you will be travelling to the UK to fight our very own Josh Kelly. I'm sure that you, you know, you know that he's an Olympian. He was quite a good amateur. Do you know much else about him at all, Carlos? Well, I mean, I didn't even know who he was when I, they told me about the fight. I had to Google it. But uh, yeah, I saw just just what I read and what I saw. I saw that I read that he was a Olympian and. He has five pro fights now, and you see a few highlights of his on YouTube, but they only have one fight of his, like, actually, like, the fight fight, and everything else is, like, highlights of what he does. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, they only got that one with, the, like, two fights ago, I think, uh, when he fought that Mexican kid. Right. I, it, I can't, it doesn't ring a bell. I can't remember the guy's name, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me either, but, yeah, that's just so, two fights ago. And that's the only one that they have the fight. It's only two rounds, and they have the first and second round. And uh, everything else is highlights of what he's doing. Yeah. Okay. And when this fight was being made between you both, who reached out to who? Did you put yourself forward, or did or did his promoters get in touch with you first? Well, I, I put myself forward uh, trying to get some fights in the UK. And uh, then they, they called me back, and they let me know they had an opportunity for me against Josh Kelly. And then uh, so I checked him out, see who he was. And then I saw that he only had five fights. So I was, like, a little confused at the time. I was like, man, five fights? I'm like, are you for real? Are you going to give me this fight or what? You know what I mean? Not to say that, you know, I just, uh, you know, anyway, with five fights, fighting a guy that has 38 fights, former world champion. I mean, you got to, I just thought it was like a mistake or something. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, you know the way 
that the boxing business works unite very well. Obviously, Eddie Hearn has had a look at you and believes that his man can beat you, a former world champion. It will be a great name for Josh Kelly's resume. Obviously, you're here to upset those plans. Josh Kelly's coming off of four straight knockout wins in a row inside five fights. But obviously, some boxing fans may not know, some of the people over here that may not know, you've never been stopped, despite you know having eight losses on your resume. You fought the likes of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., Ishe Smith, Cornelius Bundridge, Huge Punching, James Kirkland, Eris Landy Lara, Kermit Cintron, Mike Alvarado, there's many more. None of those could stop you. Do you believe Eddie Hearn and his team have made a bad move selecting you as an opponent? I think so. I think uh, <clears throat> more than anything, I think because I was uh, getting ready for this, like for a fight in April. I, I didn't have a fight, but I was getting ready mentally and uh, physically and in the gym for a fight in, in April. And like you said, I had a bad year in 2017. And so I had to regroup. I had to regroup. And, you know, over the holidays, I, I was in Michoacan where, you know, I got family. I got my grandma, my aunts, uncles, family. So I was hanging out out there, still working out on November, December. And then as soon as January hit, it was like, bam, just like that. As soon as January hit, I started off uh, watching my weight, watching my uh, training every day, Monday through Saturday, uh, watching my food, watching uh, my sleep, and, you know, just no messing around from January. So January, February, I was getting myself ready for April. Because those last two losses that I had, I knew what I had to do to come back and get on top of the, be on top again. And I I knew what I had to do, and I did it. And then next thing you know, like three four weeks from the date of the fight, this fight, March 31st, they call me about a fight with Josh Kelly. So I'm already have all this training behind me, and then I got four more weeks. So that's perfect for me. Brilliant, man. Brilliant to hear you say that. And obviously, you were a world champion at junior middleweight, and this fight's at welterweight, which a number of your last fights have been at. Just to clarify, welterweight is your best right? Is, is your best weight, right? Well, I mean, I, I think so. I think it's either welterweight or I, I think both weights. But I think that uh, like my last two fights, I lost not because it was at welterweight. I just feel like I lost because of my game plan and my training and everything that. Uh, led up to the fight. I mean, if that fight would have been a super welterweight, a uh, junior middleweight, then I, I, I feel like it would have been, you know, the same, the same thing. I, you know, close, fight, close decision losses, and that's what I had to go back and fix. You know, whether it's in welterweight or junior middleweight or middleweight, you know, whatever. You know, if you don't fix it, if you don't fix what you're doing in the ring and your training, then you're gonna get the same results. I don't struggle with it either way to make yeah. weight. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because like like you know anyway, you know a lot of fighters don't win a world title at one weight and then drop down and still still are able to kind of you know beat other guys. Like it's it's quite a rare thing as you know. Now in this fight, there's a belt on the line also, the WBA International Welterweight Title. The winner will no doubt be on the verge of a world ranking with the WBA. The two WBA title holders right now, obviously the super champions Keith Thurman and most recently the regular champion Lucas Matisse. Obviously without looking too far ahead, Carlos, which one of those two fights whet your appetite most? Yeah, like you say, without looking too far ahead right now, I'm just uh I'm actually real focused on this Josh Kelly fight right now. But um but yeah, I mean this 
you know, let's look past this for just for like you said this question, which is more appetizing to me. I feel like uh, I don't know. I feel like whichever fight would be easier to make. I guess. Yeah, no, that's fair. Enough. Like that's I, fair enough. like I don't know. You know, like I don't. I mean, they both sound pretty good. I think uh, Keith Thurman's uh, will be a more difficult fight than uh, Lucas Matisse. Yeah. But whichever fight will be the easiest to make, then I'm down for it. Yeah, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. Now, many boxers have a dream of coming to the UK to fight one day in a packed arena or a stadium, perhaps, and you can't really get bigger than this stadium here. This this Principality Stadium in Cardiff holds 90,000 people. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be pumping, especially on Anthony Joshua's undercard. Was fighting in the UK a dream of yours? And if so, how happy are you to be fulfilling that dream, like I say, in front of 90,000 people? You know what? It, I guess it wasn't like a dream from... From the beginning of my boxing career, I guess I always thought about fighting in Las Vegas. But ever since I've been training here in Mexico, you know, it has been my dream to go out to the UK and uh, go on with my career down there. And I feel like being on such a big card, like you said, on the Joshua card versus Parker, you know, everybody's going to be excited. There's going to be a lot of people. There's going to be a lot of people watching, a lot of boxing uh, fans, and a lot of uh, boxing you know, managers, promoters, so, you know, all eyes is on this show, and it's important, and uh, it couldn't come at the best time for me, you know, physically and mentally. I feel like I'm in the best spot physically and mentally that I have been since I've been to, since I have arrived in Mexico. So, since I actually won my world title in March, of, I mean, uh, September 2013, this is the best that I've felt. So, it came at a good time for me to go to the U.K., in a big, huge stadium in front of the UK fans and uh, perform. And I want to perform real good so that, that hopefully I could uh, keep uh, going with my career down there and get this will be hopefully one of many fights down there in the UK. Hopefully, hopefully. And coming down to the last two questions now for you, Carlos, I must ask your opinion on this, obviously, because you're a Mexican fighter. What is your take on Canelo's failed drug test? Obviously, you know, his excuse is that the the meat is contaminated in, 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 in Mexico in some parts. What's your whole opinion on this situation? You know, that's a hard one. You know, that's, that's a hard one because because uh, I guess I heard of, of the meat doing that to people here and doing that to boxers or soccer players and, you know, doing that, doing that to athletes. So, you know, the thing is that it could be a good excuse on his part, but then again, you know, the meat is like that, you know, like, what do you do? The only thing I could do now is like watch myself and not watch what kind of meat I do eat. And, uh, just, I guess if anything just scares me too, because I don't want to be ever falsely accused of, of cheating over eating some, you know, tacos in the corner or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, that's the scary part about it. It's like, I don't know if you, if you, it was cheating, but I, I, I'm a clean fighter, and I will never do something like that. So, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a hard one. I feel like they should maybe, uh, instead of a, they should have something more um, accurate to, to catch uh, fighters. Because, you know, maybe even I heard they said like a hair sample will detect it if you took anything within the last six months or something. So, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one because I'm scared of the meat now. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, chicken over here now. <laughs> More chicken. It is, it, is, it is a bit of a crazy situation. Obviously, we we hope that Canelo is telling the truth because he's, you know, he's no no doubt one of the biggest stars in boxing. And the final question for you now, 
Carlos, what is your prediction for this fight, if you have one, if you're happy to give it to us? Obviously, earlier on in this interview, you said that a close fight away from home, you barely ever get the decision. You know that, especially going into this fight with all your experience. Um, I'd imagine that you can't afford to have a close fight with Josh Kelly. How do you see the fight playing out, though? No, you're right. I can't afford to have a close fight, and that's one of the things that I went back and uh, had to change from the last two fights. And uh, that's one of the things that I visualize in my head seeing for this fight is uh, me just pressuring him for the first round and let's see how many how many rounds he could take how many how many rounds can he take my pressure and that's pretty much that's that's the plan just smart pressure you know smart you know moving your head not getting hit with everything that he's throwing because he is fast and he has the reflexes but he hasn't gotten the rounds and and um, he hasn't gotten the rounds yet. So I'm going to have to lose pressure from the first round to as long as he can handle it. And, and that's, that's, that's it. You know, that's, that's the game plan pretty much. Doesn't get any, I mean, doesn't get any uh, more, uh, I guess, I don't know what I'm looking for, but uh, I guess that's just the plan, just pressure him with smart pressure. Yeah. He can't be getting hit with everything. And uh, I'm in great shape right now, so I can go 10 rounds as hard as I can. Excellent, man. Excellent. Well, listen, Carlos, thank you for your time. Best of luck for the 31st of March, and we'll catch up sometime afterwards, I'm sure. Are you going to be down there in March? Yes, I'll be there ringside. All right, then. I'll, okay, I'll see you then. All right, take care. Okay, and that wraps up episode 127 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. We've brought you another two world champions this week. The former... Olympic gold medalist and IBF super middleweight world champion Mr. James DeGaulle and the former IBF super welterweight champion Mr. Carlos Molina. Thank you to both of those guys for taking part in this week's show. Best of luck to everybody in the Prediction League this weekend. Thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend, people, and we shall see you next week.